Well, you found Godfather. What up? Can you believe it? Another <laughs> episode where we'll ask some questions and have some dialogue, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Perhaps after, what, three months? I don't know. How long has it been? I checked. September 26th. Oh, boy. Yeah. it's uh, It's been two months. It's been a long time. It's been a long two months. It's felt way longer. I know. It, that is that's true. But since we're in 2020, I'm I'm in a time warp or a slow something or other that I can't describe. <laughs> I bet you are. <laughs> time goes super fast or super slow, Lee. Yeah, I'm not sure. So we're yeah. here to talk about um, some stoic stuff, some some epitetus, some. Um, you know, possibilities of trying to reframe. And I thought, fantastic. It's the holidays. And if nothing less, this is all about Greg. <laughs> 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 oh, yes. How, how are we going to get through? How am I going to get through the holidays, uh, working on my mental game through this winter? And I, I think I've found it. I honestly think I'm, I'm dare I say, giddy with um, my, my new learning. Yeah, so. um, it's uh, epic, epic, epic Titus. Um, yeah, I think I think the uh, the met, even though it actually happened, the metaphor of of getting shot down, you know, over enemy territory, knowing you're going to be captured and imprisoned for any length of time. I think that is a perfect description illustration for for this pandemic yeah um now granted there there is some good news on the horizon but let's be honest um we we have no idea how long this is actually gonna gonna play out so we don't it actually makes it worse in a way because you're thinking like oh good news vaccine like we're good to go and it's like let's pump the brakes (laughs) we gotta get through this long, cold, brutal winter we where numbers do. are ugh, not looking yep. good. So, in, in the second wave, possibly a third wave. Um, but you know, before we get in, into any of that, what what do you know about Stoicism, Mister Long? Anything at all? Um, I I knew that it was a philosophical school, um, and that uh, that Seneca played a, a large part in it. Uh, that's about it. Sure, sure. Well, I'm right there with you. In fact, I'm glad I'm not in the hot seat because um, as I pre-tested, if you will, I did very poorly. So <laughs> <laughs> the bar is pretty low. Uh, let's see what you can do. All right. You're in the hot seat. Here we go. Oh, all right. Stoicism in an ancient Greek. Stoicism, it should be is, is they, they have a typo here in my quiz. This is pro-profs quizzes. Stoicism is an ancient Greek philosophy developed by David Copperfield, Peter Griffin, Horace Holger, or Zeno of Citium. I'm going to have to go Zeno. Sure. You are correct. All right. You're off to a good start. One for one. All right. <laughs> okay. Question two. Stoicism was founded in Athens in the early 2nd century B.C., 15th century BC, 7th century BC, or 3rd century BC? I'm going to go early here. I'm going to take the second. The second century? Okay. Yes. The answer is 
third century. Ah. Okay. Yep. That okay. will be my next next choice. Yep. Stoicism is a school of Hellenistic philosophy that flourished throughout the Roman and Greek Empire, German and Britain, Persian and Sparta, or none of the above empires. Ro- Roman and Greek. Roman and Greek is correct. All right. Back in back on the positive side. Next question is. The Stoics taught that emotions resulted in errors of judgment, which were destructive, constructive, intrusive, or none of the above. Hmm. Um, what was the first? Uh, say yep. them again. I'll, I'll say them again. So they thought that emotions resulted in errors of judgment, which were destructive, constructive, or intrusive, or then they give you none of the above. I think they were constructive. Okay. And you would not be correct. <laughs> they were it's kind of a weird question. It's, it is saying, a... it's saying that they were errors, but then it's saying that, I mean, because, you know, learn from your mistakes, right? Right, so like right. Constructive, yes. it would be yes. the, kind of where I was, where my brain I, was going there. I know. I, I understand. I'm not sure pro. Pro pro have written very good quizzes here. Anyway, I told you I did I did I did badly, so who am I to judge? Okay. All right, half halfway there. The Stoic presented their philosophy as a ph- as a philosophy. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> or a religion or a rule or none of the above. <laughs> I mean it's it's a philosophy, right? Like I I I guess. At this point, no, they presented it as their philosophy as a religion. I didn't get that huh. right either. I don't even really understand what that means. They get a little yeah. better here. <laughs> Later, Stoic uh, Stoics such as Seneca and Epictetus emphasized that virtue is sufficient for nature, for living, for happiness, or for none of the above. For living. For living, says Keith Long. The answer is for happiness. What? Yes, sir. Yeah, I suppose it was on the happiness lab. <laughs> True, but <laughs> they were not uh, in cahoots with pro profs quizzes. Mm. <laughs> All right, question seven. From its founding, the Stoic doct- doctrine was popular during the Renaissance, the Roman Empire, the Persian rule, or none of the above? Uh, none of the above. None of the above. And the answer is the Roman Empire. Oh, I didn't know, I didn't hear that was in a, a, a suggestion. Yeah, you heard you said before the Greeks and the Yeah, Romans, yeah, yeah. So. Well then Roman Empire. Yeah. I, I missed that. I was I was still thinking of the last one. So All right. One of the major adherents of Stoic in the of Stoicism included the Emperor Julio Caesar, Francis Bacon, Marcus Aurelius, or Cicero. Ooh, uh, Cicero, you gotta guess. I guess you gotta know your um, your emperors. It was Marcus Aurelius. Okay, and then Seneca, and then Epictetus are the kind of your top three that gotcha are founders. I suppose you could call it that. It later experienced a decline after Christianity became the state religion in the fourth century. Got another set of um, dates here. Not phrased very well. I'll say it again. It later experienced a a decline after Christianity became the state religion in the 4th century AD, the 3rd century AD, 2nd century AD, or the 5th century AD. And I'm sorry I didn't read them. I read them in the order they're presented. If you say it didn't get established till the 3rd century, then 
it either was a very short run and it ended in the third century or they get they got like a hundred years and it ended in the fourth century. True. Interesting. Yeah. So I'm, what are you gonna go with? I'm gonna say I'm just gonna say third century. Maybe it was okay. a short run. The answer is the fourth century. Oh, yeah. Well that that's what I meant. I meant fourth century. Yeah. You, well you talked <laughs> you, you talked yourself into a good answer and then you didn't, you didn't say well, it. then I'm like I've been wrong so many times I, I had to go with I what know. I thought would be the wrong answer. <laughs> All right, last last one. The Stoics provided a unified account of the world consisting of formal logic, monistic, can't even tell you what that is, physics and naturalistic, or all the above. Boy, this is uh this is not well Jeez. I don't remember. Maybe that's why I did poorly. Um so logic, lot. monistic, or physics and natural and naturalistic. Uh, I'm and just gonna go straight up logic on this one. Okay. And the answer is logic. All right. All right. So you got uh, a whopping three out of ten. Okay. <laughs> but, but uh, we'll take it. We'll take it. Yeah. Not, not, you know what? It's all right. This is our, this is our, our, I mean, I, I think is... I could, I could, I could easily have gotten about 50% if I would have. I think so. I think a couple of them honestly really weren't phrased properly for you to be able to you'd have to read them but maybe to get a either way i it. definitely failed well <laughs> so be it yeah <laughs> all right so before we we really dive into that though i i figured we needed to take a little bit of time uh because uh the last time we spoke it was um as we said the end of september and then quite a lot has happened one of which uh is all about you as as an author so we have a new segment that i just created because of this which is asks ask the author i'd like to ask you a few questions and it really is about kind of you and writing um and we'll give you a, one of the first question really is about the the background uh on what we're talking about here and then i think it would be a, a nice um source material for us to do um some some godfather on on doubting faithfully but for right now we're just going to talk to you keith long as an author and that's my first question so questions for keith is how did doubting faithfully come about give us a little background on that so Doubting Faithfully uh, came out of a dark um, and difficult, challenging time uh, in my life and in my my spiritual life. Um, so kind of in line with the Epictetus um, type of, uh, frame, you know, frame of mind. It was, yeah, it was out of um, out of that dark night of the soul kind of um kind of a time of my life so i was uh i had uh i had a death of a very close friend that took place during this time i was in a uh challenging uh job you know in in church we call that a call Uh, i was uh in a difficult work environment that was making me question things more than i had ever questioned before it already had kind of begun in my first in my first call uh, my first uh, job as a pastor where you know things that you know I had deemed really important just didn't seem to be as important to other people or 
it was viewed very differently as from other people. And so then that just kind of started to get the wheels spinning as far as thinking about all this, uh, you know, in terms of beliefs and doubts and what mattered, what didn't. And then it just, and then on top of that, I mean, you, you encounter a lot of death as a pastor with, you know, Mm -hmm. people um, in your congregation. And there were, there were definitely a couple of really hard deaths uh, that, uh, that triggered some th- some of these existential questions, uh, and then and then I had some personal personal loss that just kind of snowballed snowball all of it. So, sure, okay. So my my follow up then is: do you, do you feel like this is a book that's for you or for certain readers or for for maybe a little bit of both? Yeah, it's definitely for both. Uh, it was a way to you know cathartic has been a word that i've used in describing this uh it was something i needed to just get off of my chest uh and i had to just put it on paper kind of like if you've ever gotten you know a strongly worded email or something and and you just need to write what you really want to say to the person and then you never send it uh yeah this was the opposite i wrote it all down and decided i'm gonna hit send this time and uh, and it was just a way to wrestle with some of these these questions and doubts that I was having and to do that from a place where it felt like it was forbidden because of my role yeah. as a leader of the faith. And yet it was extremely um, freeing to just be, you know, so truthful to just lay it all out there. And, uh, and, it, and it became a, a healing tool uh, to in real okay. time, healing in real time, because I was still in the midst of these challenges, but it helped me to reframe the experience. Okay. Very neat. All right. So that will uh, kind of, that's a teaser, right? right. For uh, people to, to kind of go out maybe and, and get a copy so this is truly my last question then uh, for Ask the Authors is really about writing. So um, and maybe maybe it's too deep, but it's what I like to do. So here it is. If you had to do something differently as a child or a teenager in order to be a better writer as the adult, Keith, what would that have been, do you think? I think I would have read more. Okay. I can get behind that. <laughs> I, I definitely, I become teacher. a very voracious reader in my in my mid twenties and on, and I read merely as requirement in the high school years. I just didn't, I didn't read, and this was before all the social media and all the stuff. I, I was just more of a, a a moving image kind of person on the screen and. Uh, and I just didn't, I just didn't free read like I wish I would have. Cause you know, now there's all these Stephen King books that I want to read that I, I could have been reading in high school. I could have been reading, you know, in college that I just, I just didn't get to. So uh, yeah, I definitely would have read more. I, the books that I did read, I mean, I still, I still remember, you know, I still remember, you know, Lord of the Flies and, and, you know, those English requirement uh, readings, Great yep. Gatsby, like those are still memorable, but I definitely would have done more reading because, I mean, I going into Doubting Faithfully, I read probably 30 books. 
Hmm. And that ha- that I see as a direct correlation to then getting in there and just writing uh, from my own perspective. But also I'm just fueled by all these things that I've been reading. You know, likewise, I mean, now I'm just kind of getting my reading program going again now for a, a second book. And-, and-, and knowing that the two, those two are so closely correlated. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely would have been... I, I wish I could up my game more. I mean, I went on Goodreads and kind of joined Goodreads and did you see some yeah. like how much people have read. It's so humbling. And it, it's just like, Oh man, I, I like in the five, six hundreds, like, um, and granted, I, I have been more of a nonfiction reader in the last uh, 10 years. Uh, and that's kind of where I'm like, I bet I could have read, I could have read at least uh, 50 or so uh, fiction books that I, I missed out on. Sure. Yeah. Uh, um, amazing that I've, I've always been jealous of people that can read quickly and, um, you know, and obviously comprehend to the level of analyzing it and, or enjoying it. You read for lots of different reasons. And that's the deal is, you know, fiction, at least stereotypically, you can read those, those, those faster. You're not really, you know, digging into those nonfiction pieces, those analytical things, unless you're in like a book group or whatever, I have to sort of qualify because I'll get a bunch of people to say otherwise, but very cool. So I picked up my copy of Doubting Faithfully um, just, just through Amazon. Is that the best place to get it? That is the only place right now to get it. I, I self-published okay. through Amazon and you can get it as an ebook. And if you're listening right now by some miracle, uh, with uh, before December second, you can get the ebook for ninety nine cents. Then that deal expires, and then it's four sixty nine for the ebook, and it's nine ninety nine for the paperback on Amazon. Okay. Yep. Awesome. Pick up a copy. It's a short read. It is. It is thick. I mean, it's deep, but uh, people have told me that they they have gotten you know they've read it in a day. Uh, that so you can't really okay. say that for most nonfiction type books uh and it's it's yeah i think i i think that's possible i think i read that it could be read in uh in about a couple hours kind of a sitting like that if you're if you really plug through it i read it over um a couple well it was more than a couple days because i I only had a chunk of time here and there in about a week or so nothing wrong i I mean it's not like you're gonna forget anything but it you know I, i when i told people that i wrote a book and then I told them it was, you know, 73 pages. They're like, oh, good. You know, like, <laughs> like, like now I might actually read your book. You know, <laughs> Before I was just going to be like, hey, congratulations, you know, but. Uh... Yeah, <laughs> that's, I love it. I don't know if I'd put that on the back of the selling point or maybe that's the right. selling point. Right. <laughs> that's great. All right, so that is to get into our source material, our fodder, and it comes from the Happiness Lab, which if you have not heard that podcast before, uh, it's in the second season, and Dr. Lori Santos is doing um, a series 
on the ancients. And this particular one is, I think, the third in a four-part series. And it's on the Stoics and specifically Epictetus. And um, talking to Bill Irving, who is a practicing um, Stoic. So he says he's a professor at, um, I think it was Wright University. I don't know. I might have that wrong. Um, no pun intended there. <laughs> I was <hoping> you'd <laughs> had to throw that in there anyway so um tell me about it i mean you 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 were already mentioning kind of the way that it starts um but you know what tell us what struck you right well away. It, it's very in line with a lot of my beliefs already and the fact that it's not about what happens it's about how you react and how you frame it and so as a theologian, mm -hmm. that is right up my alley in, in, uh, in defining, you know, some of these and wrestling with some of these concepts is it's, there's the story itself and then there's what it means for you. And so, so I was just, it was really affirming for a lot of the things that I already kind of do. Uh, in the sense of, okay, this thing happened. Now, how am I going to frame this so that it can be constructive for my life? Yeah. So that, you know, there's, there's definitely that. And uh, so, you know, the, the episode starts with this pilot going down in the Vietnam war. He's a pilot, he's young, he's got whole world ahead of him. And, and he is a studier of philosophy and, um, particularly the Sto Stoics and Epictetus. And, you know, I just love the way they described, you know, he's going down, he's got the parachute, he knows when he lands, he's got hell waiting for him in a, in a prison. Yeah. And he just tells himself this little pep talk, I am now entering into the land and the time of Epictetus. Uh, this, is a, this is an Epictetus yeah. opportunity for me. To, to lean on this philosophy or this religion of stoicism to get me through what what's about to come. And, and so then I think about my own experience and I've, I essentially kind of did that. You know, I, I can see these doubts and, and the skepticism as is crippling to my role as, you know, supposedly this shepherd that has all the answers that shouldn't, you know, should be the strongest in his faith. And instead I saw this as an opportunity to reframe what it means to be a leader, to be a person of faith, to be a person of faith and doubt, and to use that reframing mechanism just a lot more frequently than I had been using it before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, and, and so I, I knew I guess, I don't know if I knew to give the um, credit, so to speak, to Epictetus for some of his quotes, um, but the one you already mentioned, it's not what happens to you, but how you react to it that matters. I mean, he's got a few others that you would you would recognize, but got into this episode, and, and as you said, it, it started as with this pilot going down, and he's like, how am I going to get through this, and how amazing to be able to put your brain in that Oof. spot and go, okay, um, this is going to be truly mm -hmm. hell, but I'm going to make it through like that positive mindset and utilizing um, his brain. And that's, 
I'm like, okay, I'm interested. Now let's get into this a little bit more. And I, I didn't know anything. I did poorly on that quiz with the Stoics. I mean, I've, I've known about it or, or, you know, I think just going through school or people make the side comment about he's being stoic right. or she's being stoic, not showing the emotion. And that really is about it. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's the extent of it, but so much more. And again, I, I, I'm truly interested in digging into the, um, you know, the way that they think, and it is, it's about what, what's in your control and to not let these areas upset you. And I don't know, man, you're going down and you're going to be captured or, I don't know if he was captured right away, um, but at least he's he's hiding and not knowing where his you know next bit of food mm-hmm. or water or shelter is going to be, you know. And so to take that and to try and again make it a metaphor, I guess, to the challenges of today and and look at all right, what what can I control? And man, a whole lot of right. nothing. And especially again in the framing of this pandemic, where I mean. The mind likes routines the and patterns and clarity, and we've got none of that. We, we don't have a right, I, I, I guess, as you mentioned, a, a turning point, which will be definitely significant about the vaccine, but oh, it's not out yet. We, we've, we've found some, but you got to get it and then distribute it. And it's two doses, depending upon, you know, there are three of them that are out there and going down that whole path, but we can't control any of that. What, what can I control? Remember what's in, in my control and to not be upset or angry. I mean, they say that, you know, you know Stoics, they, they don't show any emotion or anything. And they, they lean into the emotions. They just don't get disturbed by that right. anger. And it's that more the and avoidance of the negative emotions that, you know, yes. not all, emo- all, all emotion is not bad. It's the way of, I guess, deflecting the negative ones that, that tempt to lure you, you know, to use the Star Wars to lure you to the dark side. Uh, they, yes, it's it's the state of mind. And then uh, exactly like teach me, mm-hmm. oh, master, because, man, how do you in fact, if you were to if I were to be asked some adjectives that describe myself, one of them would be passionate and and I enjoy being passionate about lots of different things, excited and and can really get going and talking about it. And their phrasing is exactly to not be disturbed by those passions. But I think the framing is, as you said, though, it's the negative side of those things where it's the state of mind where I'm not, I mean, I'm, um, I have composure because I think that's part of this too. And I was doing the research on it. It's, it's not really indifference where it doesn't bother you or you don't care. It's not apathy. You know, I mean, you, they do care. It's just that I have control over that. I even read that it was, it's almost being described as manipulating your brain to, to think about it in that way, because it isn't about ignoring um, that becomes exhausting at least the way that I, that I was reading right. it was described because you have to control yourself and it can be yeah, to, just to, exhausting. To, you know, to, um, to that. use that, that, uh, you know, your, your will or, uh, self-control is so mentally exhausting. You know, that's why these diets of where you're, you know, to refrain from eating a particular thing, you know, just don't work in the long term because you exhaust your, your mental capacities so much that then you end up just going on a huge splurge. Uh, <laughs> you just can't take yes. it yes. and you just explode and then you just set yourself way back. And so it, 
it is just about totally reframing, you know, the, the thing, but not escaping reality. So I thought his analogy about the, the sports, uh, about the, the, uh, I don't know if it was a tennis match or an athletic match of some kind, but you could say, Oh, I lost that game. And, and then you just check the box. I'm a failure you know, I lost and then you start keeping track of all your losses and then you use that as your, your self-worth or you go into the game going, okay, the winning is actually something that's out of my control. Uh, You know, I think it works especially for team sports. So you go in with, okay, we, we, here's our plan. I'm going to give it a hundred percent, my best effort you know, and I'm going to do all the things that I can control. And then if we win, great. You know, if we lose, that's okay too, because if you've done all these other things, then you will have accomplished what you set out to accomplish. Sure. Yes. It's adding that value. Where is that value? Do you give that power to something that you can't control? Like we did our very best. I I would always phrase that when I coached and the language mattered, at least to me when I tried to, you know, motivate my teams, which, or maybe to the level of inspire them, but it's, it's where the other team beat you today. They were just better. It it just happens. Right. Versus um, it. This is where, you can have a good loss and a bad win. That's where my brain mm. goes with those kind of categories where, man, we shouldn't have won yeah. today. You know, we, we were <laughs> turning the ball over or, and, and we got it. And so it, it's that value. And in this case, to control that or quiet your mind enough to be able to not give it value or, or power than it more than it should have you know and that's a, the easy example for that comes to mind about driving you know myself included but many people i know get super upset um about the way other people hmm. drive and and you, you just it, it's how that person would like why well why is that even mattering you're gonna get where you need to get to yeah. um and don't let them you know get in your way and, and be upset yeah, the, about the, it. the issue uh, is it is for day. a stoic it's logically going through what you can control and what you can't and then and then it's even breaking that down further and say okay here are the things that i can control uh here are the things that i can't control what are the what are the levels of you know breaking that down even more meticulously as far as okay here are the things that i can't control a hundred percent I can't control when the sun rises or sets. I can't control the weather, you know, but Mm -hmm. then there are the other things that you can't control, but there's a little bit of control in there. Like there's, he talks about your, your weight, you know, uh, you might, you might not be able to control your genetics or what you're predisposed to do, but you can control what you put in your body and you can control your exercise and you can try to maintain at least some facet of control in something that might largely be out of your control. I, I thought that was helpful too. I, and I think that's where, that's where the study comes in and, and that discipline that of your mind. Yes. Uh, and you kind of mentioned in a text before, you know, so am I a Christian Buddhist stoic, you know, and, and, <laughs> you know, yes. and then there's that kind of that mind, you know, mental game of the, of Buddhism that can be really helpful in uh and and helping your brain and rewiring your brain to 
you know, take some things really, really seriously and important and other things you just let go. Yeah. Well, and I, I, it, it is, it's about, or at least the way that I'm approaching it, it is about the mind and taking that time. And that's the, I think the hardest part for me, at least initially here, as I'm thinking about things and quieting the mind and then being able to approach it in the sense that you just described. And William Irving talks about it as a trichotomy uh, of control. So it's a completely in control, partially in control or not in my control. And you do have to sit there and think about and putting those, putting whatever's happening into those compartments, those boxes. He, he describes it as because it's your brain, you know, he, he described it as if it was your neighbor. What if your neighbor came to your door and was yeah. banging on your door constantly and screaming at you? What, what could you do about it? Um, and in this case, it's in your, it's your brain, mm -hmm. it's in your head. So I can't, I can't call the police or, or shut the door or go into another room. It, it's, it's in my head. So I have to try to put it into a spot that I can then work with it. And I like the language of reappraising or reappraisal to, to kind of desensitize mm -hmm. it a little bit, because why am I giving power to that? There's, there's nothing that I can do over that versus learning. You know, I mean, that's a big deal on the control piece, like you mentioned. I don't need to surround myself with a whole bunch of candy bars. I wouldn't say I don't have to. I still enjoy eating them, but don't go buy a big right. bag of them. You know, buy buy a smaller, buy one, um, or treat yourself once a week or whatever, you know, those types of things. And that's the part that you you need to work on. I want to work on with, with just putting them in compartment in compartments so then I can control where they are and realize that these are in my control and, and be productive about it. I think that's, that's the value that I'm, I'm seeking. From. Yeah. I, I think it just goes to show that if you want to get the most out of life, I'd say 0.001% of people have it fall in their lap. You really have to work and strive and come with a strategy to each and every conflict and, and non-conflict. I mean, it's, it's, that's what he's saying. Like you, you might not set out to be the most accomplished X, Y, Z, but if you are intentional about and self-disciplined yes. about framing and, you know, again, letting go of things and, and focusing on what you can control and, you know, like you're going to be successful. If you think about it, right. you're going to be, and I hate that I, I don't, I shouldn't say hate, but I strongly dislike the you can do anything you put your mind to uh, cliche. Uh, you know, I think it's you can you know, you can do a lot of things when you put your mind to it in a very intentional, purposeful way. Yes, I, that's the important part. I, I agree with you on it's it's overused and, and not really accurate, but it's the time that you think about and process uh and, and you can get yourself to well if you've ever been in a meeting or a situation with a group of people and it's getting a little emotional and you watch some people who are pretty calm and collected right i mean do you attribute that as well that person has you know special gifts or a, a special way of, about him or her like probably not it, it's probably taken some serious time and energy to 
think about things and not let their emotion get involved in it. In fact, sometimes, at least for me, it can be an emotional about it would be those are the things that actually make mm. me more frustrated. You know, when I'm getting all worked up in the just <laughs> calm, it would be better if they were angry oh, yeah. as well. But they're just like, it's fine. Nothing's bothering me. Well, what? Why is it not bothering you? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, as an educator, True. I would think <laughs> that, you know, the you would definitely agree. And I, it took me a long time to to realize this longer than it probably should have. But it's not about what you're learning. It's how you're teaching your brain to problem solve the thing. So I, you know, I approach yeah. math as very, you know, just in the moment, like, what do I need calculus for? The, you know, this is pointless and, and miss the miss the, the, the underneath of, well, you're, you're wiring your brain in a certain way to problem solve things differently, which is only going to help you yes. in the long run when you're in a completely non-calculus type situation, but that wiring and that tooling of your brain, equipping your brain to, to process and to problem solve is really going to help you, you know, long, long term down the road. So it's it's again like, yeah, you, you can do a lot of things that you put your mind to. But a lot of people just put their mind to something in a very shallow way. And no, they're not going to mm -hmm. accomplish that thing. But if they're putting their mind to yeah. it and they've thought really deeply and intently about that how process well yeah you can accomplish a hell of a lot yeah well and, and that's where you know I, i'm gonna try to use his his couple tips he said about about the work and it's it's what you just said is, is the how the workaround you know if i were to go and reevaluate then or evaluate maybe not even reevaluate but just evaluate the circumstance that i went through and and see how did i do you know how did that work out including did i keep my cool or was I, you know, really emotional or stressed or those types of things that turn out to be the negatives, you know, experience the, it's the cliche that experience is the best teacher. And it's not, there are plenty of people who continuously <laughs> make the mistake after mistake that they've made, right? It's the, the yeah. reflection and the thought process that's going to make the learning possible and moving forward for growth. So I, I love it. And I'm going to, I'm going to try to, yeah, see if you can find a good book or something that we could uh, we could study up on on this. I bet you there's uh, I bet you there's some really yeah. good good uh, material out there that to go deeper. But I really enjoyed it. Great great find. Great find. Epictetus. Good. Epictetus. So it's the Happiness uh, Lab, and it happens again to be Happiness Lessons of the Ancients, uh, and this happens to be the Stoics and Epictetus. So she has a few others. Uh, for you to take a look at as well. Again, Dr. Lori Santos. So this has been Godfather, and we thank you for sharing your time and connecting with us, and we look forward to more opportunities with you in the future. Godfather artwork is designed by Chuck Bennis. Our theme music is from The Godfather, composed by Nita Roda. Transition music is by Led Zeppelin. Outro music this time is being performed by the Traveling Wilburys. Please join us again next time when we will ask more questions, explore further connections, and share our reflections to add a little value to the world. <laughs> <laughs>